following program is closed captioned for the thinking impaired. All systems go. Prepare to be astonished. You can't handle the truth. You should fully expect the unexpected. You are now turned into the boiler room with your host, Omar Figo Bindu and Nathan Kalasho. Why the hell are you late? Man, why you be hating on me, man? I'm here. At least I'm here. Nathan's gone. Well, that's that's true. I think he went to go see um, like a boy band or something. I'm not sure. That's what I was hearing about, you know? 98 <laughs> Degrees. <laughs> yeah, Disney. Yeah, the Backstreet Boys? Yeah, Backside Boys. Yep, something like that. Yep, exactly. <laughs> In sync. <laughs> so what's happening, guys? How's everybody's week been? Good. No complaints about you, man. Good. Uh, just uh, keeping busy, you know, running the studio, getting things going, moving, you know, doing my thing. You been uh, recording anybody lately? Uh, Janelle's in. I uh, just had another girl yesterday who was doing something for a wedding. Hey, Janelle was in. Did you talk to her about our song or what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's uh, there. Right, good cool. to go. Yep. Cool, gonna yeah. Work. They're going to get together. What about uh, Tony Green? Is he good? Yeah, as soon as we uh, actually, you know what? Let me hit him up tomorrow and see when he, as soon as he can come down here. Yeah, because you T Money Green, no bassist like him on the planet, man. That's right, former bassist for uh, Snoop Dogg. Yeah, Snoop, Dre, Tupac, The Dramatics, uh, played on the Above the Rim soundtrack. I think he won some big award for that too, and just and a whole we are bunch gonna of ha- stuff. We are gonna feature him on an original song that uh, Mark and I uh, co-wrote, and actually Janelle and Newark uh, uh, co-wrote as well. They they helped out with the melody and uh, they'll be performing the song, and uh, Mark did a great job as usual playing guitar on it. I don't know about great job, but come on, somewhat man. passable job. <laughs> <laughs> we got a uh, we got an interesting show lined up today. Um, <clears throat> it's gonna be it's gonna be pretty emotional. Um, it's uh it's gonna be a topic that that hits home with I think a lot of people, um, and. Uh, I know that for sure I'm one of them. Um, and my brother Junior is here with us today too. Hi guys. Hey Junior. And um, so the topic is we're going to talk about um, our Chaldean brothers and sisters who uh, have been slain in their place of business, um, killed, you know, through robberies and, and murder. Uh, we're going to look. We're going to hear from some actual uh, family v- victims uh, who have gone through this tragedy. Uh, we're going to hear their stories, their tragedies, um, how they dealt with it, how they cope with it. We're going to look at possible uh, ways to, you know, how as to how we can minimize these incidents. Uh, in the second hour, Vanessa, uh, Vanessa Denhagarmo will be on with us uh, representing the AFPD on behalf of uh, Ode Arabu. And she, we're going to look at uh, some things that the AFPD uh, may have to suggest and to offer, and what they're doing. Of course, one of their past uh, presidents, Fred Daly, Mark, I'm sure you remember, uh, was killed a couple years ago uh, in his store, you know, as a store robbery. And we actually have his son, Ziad, who will be calling in a little later uh, to talk to us and, and share with us that incident. Yeah, it's very sad. And, and how many times have, has this kind of thing happened 
uh, to our people working in, in, you know, different neighborhoods. And a lot of, even in the suburbs, this happened to so many people. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, I remember I used to work at, uh, it's now Mug and Jug across from, uh, what's that, North Farmington. Or is yep. it Harrison on 12 Mile? Yeah, on 12 Mile, yeah, right across okay. from Harrison, yeah. Across from Harrison. I used to work there uh, when it was grapevine. Nice, I mean, it wasn't bad. Farmington Hills. Uh, I remember over there when it changed to Mug and Jug, it got a little rough. They ended up shooting a guy that I know, Matthew. Um, he ended up getting a couple, I think, to the chest. Wow. He survived. 13 in Orchard Lake, I mean, Farmington Hills. Uh, Jeff, my friend. Also, too. I mean, you know, so it, it doesn't. I, there's no uh, rhythm and rhyme in most cases. But yeah, obviously, you're gonna have a. You're gonna. You're in the belly of the beast when you're in the city of Detroit. Let's. Be I almost real. got shot twice in Detroit, oh. and uh, you know, one was a daytime robbery, and uh, I mean, it, it's funny too when it happens too. You're not thinking, but afterwards is when it hits you. Of course. You know, I had uh, there was. Two uh, guys were beating the hell out of my security, the security guard up front. This is a grocery store. So they were calling me up front. I ran up there not knowing what's going on. I grabbed the first guy, turned around. He took a swing at me and missed. Second guy said, shoot them both. Uh, that guy drew two guns in my face. And where I jumped behind the check lane counter. And then my dad came out from the office from the other side, drew his gun and had it pointed at that guy who had his guns pointed at me and the security guy. And uh, it was a standoff. It's just yeah, it was just it was just a crazy situation, and you don't really think about it till after. And then another time, there was an incident on New Year's Day. I almost got killed. So you definitely deal with some different things, sure. You know, depending on where you're at. Retail life can be, um, I mean, it's very dangerous, and um, you walk, you deal with all walks of life. Um, I mean, they it seems to be that many cases are usually somebody from the neighborhood who knew a good. Um, inside out of the way the business operates and you know for for how response time and all that stuff is they kind of you know, they they calculate the 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 motives and um it's usually again most of the guys that are local in your neighborhood that do that stuff um part of it might have to do with too that we're like you know we're very trusting people as Chaldeans yeah and we're always like oh got the office door open or this you know and people become familiar with that, and the person, like you said, that you least suspect. I mean, luckily, ours was not an inside thing, but most of the time it's inside because, you know, you treat everybody like family. We feed them. Sure. We all eat together. We, of course. You know, and then next thing you know, boom, the person you least suspected has been scoping everything out and while I'm, you've been doing things on your, you know, your goodwill form. I had a, um, I have a friend that was actually, um, Dave, uh, they own um, Rub. Barbecue? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, to be able to speak on it and name it off of the people is not a problem because it was actually in the news, so it made media. He was set up by his employee. And the crazy thing is, if you look it up, Rub Barbecue, uh, it's on the east side. It was on the east side. If you look it up and see the video, you'll see the employee unlock the door for somebody else to come in. And they came in through the ladder from the uh, back of the building. You know, sometimes mm-hmm. they have those hatches to get yeah, in. Yeah. They got in. And they stuck my friend up in the office, put the gun to his head, and waved it and what have you. I mean, you know, he gave me the take whatever you want. You know, he just he didn't know if he was going to get shot, killed, yeah. whatever it may be. Well, as he was um, running off, the guy, luckily, this is how he got caught, the idiot, is that when he jumped over, there was a fence behind it. As he jumped over, um, he shot himself in the leg. This is the <laughs> robber, so it's a dumbass, you know, yeah. which 
that worked in the favor because somebody was picked up and caught. Now they got a guy off the street, and they got the actual employee who was involved in that too. But to what you're saying, I mean, that's how easy and how close to yeah. home. You know, you you know your brother these people. You take them as kids and your you know you know and businesses. But man, it's just uh, it's 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 a bad it's a bad turn because so many lives get affected by one murder when it does happen. That you know it, it's just. It's 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 a bad trail. Let's just say that that happens. The thing with us is, um, uh, real quick, and then we're gonna get to our our first um, caller. But uh, <clears throat> my family uh, was has endured this tragedy. You know, my father was killed when I was three, and my sister Marianne was two, and my mom was just pregnant with Junior. And so my dad was was killed in his store uh, at that time. That was back in uh, it was back on September 11th, 1974. So uh, we're no strangers to this. To this kind of stuff, um, and now we're uh, we're actually going to get to our first caller, uh, who has had uh, his brother was was actually killed uh, in his place of business. Uh, Amen. Amen, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yeah, we can hear you now. How's it going, brother? I'm good, thanks, buddy. How are you doing? I'm good, thanks. I'm here with my brother Junior and our co-host Mark Casa. How you doing? Hey, What's up, man? Hey guys. Hey guys. How are you? Good. How are you? Good. Good. Thank you. So, Eamon, uh, your brother was was uh, killed back. I believe it was in the eighties, right? It was in December second, nineteen eighty six. Uh, a little over twenty eight years ago. Mhm. And so, what happened? Uh, you know, how did you guys get notified? And you know, what what exactly transpired? Well, I, I was home in the morning that day, um, and it was you know, a couple of days before Christmas, so he had to go to the uh, to the bank um, to make a deposit because or and getting some change. And on the way back from the bank, um, right in front of the party store, as soon as we got out of the car, um, two guys and I, I heard you guys talking by saying inside job. It was actually two of our regular customers um, that. Robbed him right there, and um, they thought he had a lot of money. He didn't have that much, um, ironically. Um, and they killed him right there on the spot. And uh, uh, it's a sad day for us, but uh, we immediately, the uh, my sister who was working at the store, she called us, and both me and my mom went to the uh, went to the store. But by that time, he had already gone to the hospital, and um, he didn't make it. So was your sister working in the store at the time that the the murder took place? Yes, she was there. Wow. Okay. And um these were these killers captured? Um yeah, they were all between um every, uh between witnesses and therefore uh two people were captured. Um went to court. One of them was found guilty and was uh sentenced to life in prison. Um, and the other one, ironically, um, had a lot of people testifying for him, saying that um, he was somewhere else, and uh, he was found uh, innocent. Wow. And he escaped, and he's pretty much free to this day, never paid any kind of penalty or well, price or any... I, I don't know what ever happened to him, but uh, that's about right. Can I ask you a question, Eamon? This is Junior. Hey, Junior. What's up? How are you, buddy? <clears throat> when um good when something like this happens and um you go through this tragedy you know it's a, this is a life situation so you, there's no no coming back from it uh 
Do you start to believe in stuff like capital punishment um, in cases like that? And our laws should aim more for that. I mean, because I, you know, I, I look at it more or less. It's a waste keeping some of these guys for what they've done to keep them around. Mm-hmm. In my opinion, I just want to hear something from somebody else how they feel. Well, I, I tell you, my my whole family was devastated. I mean, I, my brother was the <clears throat> central figure of my family. Um, he was the breadwinner. He was the uh, the person who kept the family going, and um, you know, the, the sort of like the head of the family. My dad at that time was already in his well in his um, uh, late seventies, almost eighty. So you know, my my brother was really the head of the family. Um, we're really, you know, basically living off him working and helping us out, um, and to have some somebody take that figure away from you um it, it, it's hard to say how you can let that per- how you can forgive that person uh, ever find it in your soul that this person should be living because he did not have any regard for any for a human life so the question is why should we have regard for his life because he didn't have it amen how old was your brother when when he was killed and how old were you he was uh 28 and um i was about 20 Wow. wow. That's young. How did you yeah. uh I mean how did you personally and then and then I want to ask you about your family but how did you cope with it after after it happened? It's you know you never cope with it. It's it's still a tragedy and a life altering event um and that never really changes. You kind of event you know after years you you move on, you know, you, you live your own life but it's still um, affects you in the in the way your whole family your your whole life uh, and how it moves on from that point. It, it it almost becomes it almost becomes PTSD in a way. It's our post traumatic yes. you know you know it, it um it it, it I mean, sticks it, with us and you got to fight that demon every now and then and I'm with you brother trust me <laughs> it's it's a, it's a feeling that um you never want to instill in anybody not even on your worst enemies because. Like I like I learned in certain situations, traumatic situations, you can recover from them. But when a situation when you're gone, it's gone. You're not you're not getting that back. And the reason I asked you that question so you understand mm-hmm. is because you had a little unfair side as you feel with the law because of this other person that was involved. Well, let me give you the outcome of what what we faced in our situation. <clears throat> we had three people involved. There was two shooters inside. Uh, I'm sorry. There's two robbers inside, and there was um. There was uh, one person in the getaway car. One person was sentenced three years, one sentenced five years, and the shooter who did the actual killing was sentenced 15 years. So in same regards, is you've given somebody a 15-year li- uh, sentence for taking another man's life, and yet you've let them go out and live them. But as you were 20, I had a, a, a cousin, which was my dad's nephew, who was 12 years old, who was put into the cooler with a gun to his head at, at the beginning of the robbery, who has never recovered. He is, he's, it's, it's, it, you can see it you know, in, in his eyes to this day at 52, 53 years old. So, yeah, and, you know, and you hear stories of um, you know, store owners, unfortunately, you know, uh, getting robbed and killed, who are you know, married with three young children, like you know, infants, and th- that whole family and all their kids, all the kids' lives are now altered because of that one event, because this person was taken away. I agree. I agree 100% with you. You, you, It changes the course of not only the wife and the kids, but many more around. You know, there's, you know, 
I've seen it. You know, my my dad's nephews all had a tougher time in their own because they looked up to him. It's like you know, you said that, but I think our laws should be a little, should be tougher because there has been some instances where it doesn't it backfires on us as the good guys, and even to this day, um, you know, it just seems like you know, it's, well, I don't know. Amen. Do you think there are any things that that can be done? To maybe minimize these situations, do you do you, you know what, that, what do you that, think? That's a I, that's a hard you know thing to try to figure out because I mean violence and murder has been around as long as uh, humanity has. I mean, and it's always been with us. Right. So it, it, I don't know if there's something can be avoided, um, but you could try to you know to minimize it. Um, I heard you guys speaking earlier that you know. It, City of Detroit, you're in the belly of the beast. Obviously, um, it's not a prime area to have a business, especially a cash business. Um, so, you know, I, I one thing that you can try to do is maybe not have a store there. But I know it's difficult, right? So a lot of people don't have a choice. Correct. Um, another another thing is obviously is that you got to be aware of the surroundings. So, like, you know, my brother was just coming back from the bank, right, in a city, you know, right in the middle of Detroit, in, in downtown Detroit. Um, and, you know, maybe, I don't know if he was conscious or he just got used to the routine uh, and didn't notice that, you know, there were guys literally standing outside of his car just waiting for him to get out. Yeah, which is very possible I, I, because I, it's calculated. Do, do you agree with me? Yeah. This is Mark. I'm sorry. Do you Do you agree that part of it, too, is because the dynamic, you know, part of it is obviously the danger of the city, but I think part of it, too, is the dynamic because unless you worked in the city – you don't understand that unlike the, the, when you work in the suburbs it's more like okay I'm the customer you know you're the person at the store here's my money thank you very much have a nice day in the city it's like you're a family member you're a person who gives them you know who loans them money or gives them money you know when they don't have any money to buy groceries for their family you're you know you Oh, absolutely. I mean, we didn't just have a, a store there. We were part of the community. Um, I mean, we had drives of, like, Thanksgiving where we were giving away turkeys. And, you know, you tend, like people living on credit. I mean, a big majority of our customers used to come in, didn't have the money, and we were just living off credit and saying, it's okay, you know, we'll keep a tab for you guys, come back next time whenever you, you, know, whenever you have the money to pay us. So, and, they, and we knew all these people. I mean, it's not just... Your customers, they become the family. I mean, you know every single one of your customers very well, well enough where you can let them uh, live on credit. Very true. Yeah, I mean, I used to know them. Like, my customers, I knew them, their kids, their grandkids. Yep. You knew what was going on in school. You knew, like, you knew everything about them in the city. It's just a, it's a very a much more personal, hands-on thing, especially now working both in the suburbs and the city. I can see the, you know, the perspective <clears throat> on both of them, but... It was definitely way more hands-on in the city as far as being a part of their lives in a lot of ways. Yeah, I've heard exactly. a, I've heard a very uh, interesting, um, if um, I don't know if you want to call it theory or, or argument as to what partially causes these uh, these robberies and these killings in these in these impoverished areas. And uh, Mark and Amen, this this question especially would would go to both of you, but. There, you know, pe- some people feel that uh, it's partly motivated by envy. So that what I'm saying is, like, the Chaldeans go there, they're dressed up in suits, they have nice cars, and they take them into their stores. 
And so these impoverished people walk in there and they become envious, and so it leads them to to do this kind of stuff. What do you guys think about that? Nah, I don't think it's what it is. I tend to think <clears throat> that it's just vulnerability. I mean, they feel – look, when you work – you know, and I know with you know if you if you ever wrote a book first of all about a store that you worked at in a bad neighborhood, it'd be a long book of things that people would never believe. Uh, but I think the biggest thing is there's no per, uh, police presence. People know <clears throat> that when they commit a crime, that guess what? Nobody's going to show up. Maybe for hours, and you know, right. maybe even not even that day they won't show up. So Very why true. why would you be scared to commit a crime if you know nobody's going to be there? easy to get away with. Murder is one of the well, easiest I, things to get away with in this country, isn't it? Especially in the, yeah, well, especially I, when the cops don't show up. I, uh, exactly. Two good points. Is one, like, you know, when we had the store in Detroit, a lot of times we get robbed. We had people shoplift, whatever. We call the police. It takes, uh-huh. you know, half hour, sometimes over an hour before, by the time they show up. They just didn't you know, consider it as an urgent or critical thing that they needed to be there right away. Um, and then as far as are they being jealous? No, I think you're just sitting. You're in an area where it's high poverty, high crime, and these people grew up in an environment where they were feeling at an early age or committing crime, and they realize that they can get away with it, and they get used to that kind of lifestyle, saying that okay, I can get something like you know, I can get something valuable and get away with it, and it progressively it becomes part of their life. You, you know, um, I know there's been some stuff that's been uh attempted to be worked through the city of Detroit, and I know in regards to that, they've asked for surveillance systems to be put up and put in and around their stores um, to help out, one, maybe deter the situation from happening, and if it's not that, that there's also the um, the help of um, catching when the situation does actually occur or when it may happen to businesses, say, across the street and so forth. I know that that's been a situation. They said recently they gave some credit to that and said that it was a good thing because it did help recently in a crime that happened that's one but um i'm gonna tell you what else presence, is the problem though I mean, police presence is zero in right, the city. right right so I'm gonna, that's what mm-hmm. i was gonna get to so there was a point that we there was um store owners that were actually um hiring some of the detroit cops weren't they yeah if i'm not off mistaken duty, yep. okay so off duty but then that became a problem didn't the city start saying there was issues with that because there were you know, Detroit police officers, and they were paid through the city. You know, wasn't there yeah, there issue? was some kind of sticky situation. And, and then another problem is the media, because the media, all they like to do once once a year, every single year, they like to take like some decrepit like party store yeah. and say that this is the typical supermarket in Detroit that people buy outdated stuff and and they don't offer any fresh goods to people and they're ripping people off. It's like, no, it ain't like that. Why don't you go to the other? Ninety-nine percent of the stores. I mean, you can find good and bad everywhere. But let's face—it's like Detroit in, in, in general, right? Yeah. You can exit on ninety-four in Shane, and you're like you're going to Afga- Afghanistan, or you can go downtown where the stadiums are, and it's all shiny and new. Yep. But what does the media always do? They always focus on all oh, these these grocers are ripping off the people. It's like no, we're servicing the neighborhoods. I remember Coleman Young said, he said if it wasn't for the Chaldeans, my people wouldn't eat because he knew. That we we took care of the people in the neighborhood, and 99% of us do. Again, there's always going to be one or two that it's a problem, but let's face it, we're we're really good to the people in the neighborhoods. We are, and I do but, understand that a lot of times they get mad and say, "Oh, well, they're taking that money and running back to the suburbs." I understand what they're where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand, but you know, overall, it's it's the media does does not do us any justice. No. Well, I mean, we, no, I mean, 
and that all and that all mentioned the fact that you know Kroger, Farmer Jack, uh, at, at that time Great Scott, those you know, you know supermarkets, they all left Detroit. Left. And little there yep. was no source of groceries, you know, in the city, in the whole city of Detroit. So in, in a way, you know, Tommy Young was correct in that Chaldeans brought the source of groceries, food, and whatever to the city of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Well, there there definitely has been some tension in the last fifteen years, if you think about it. The transition of going from Dennis Archer, which was he was he was a pretty good man overall. Archer was a good guy, yep. but the you know he yep. couldn't change the culture inside of, not. of their the city council. No, no. Right. So he walked away. When he walked away from it, he um, he was replaced by a, I mean a barbarian, which is, I mean in his own way. <laughs> he, he he beat the city down in his own way, but. He built a tension amongst us and the people again in the city. If you guys recall, a few years back, and mind you, this, this all those tickets they were writing all the stores, all that tickets stuff. and all yep. that stuff harassing I, people. I remember my brother-in-law Mike, uh, Mike Sarafa, ended up writing um, or, or getting at him and writing an article or an email to him or a letter saying he is um, he is going after these people uh, under wrong pretense about the whole outdated food and all that. Well, it was building tension. Yeah, luckily it wasn't into something bigger that that it should have been. But yeah, I mean, and like you guys, let's just not focus to say Detroit's the only place that this is going to happen. Any big city, yep, any big big city, city, or or like for our own people, like to say suburbs are there too. You know, there's a lot of suburbs. The guy in what Clinton Township, that was suburb, that wasn't Detroit. You know, so and um, again, I think Heyman, you had a good point. You just got to know your surroundings. When something looks suspicious, you, you know your most common customers. You know what they look like. Shady guys come in, hands in their pocket, hoodies on, whatever it may be, you know. And um, just for the record, I, I know I just wanted you guys to know, um, and I'm not sure if, if our caller or our listeners are aware or callers, but, um, you know, the, the Chaldean Chamber of Commerce, Martin Manna's group, they um, they have a reward fund and that they posted over 50,000 themselves in the last 18 months towards apprehending those who, like, committed any violent crimes, you know, against our, our uh, business people. So what do you mean they posted fifty thousand? They that's what they give in for any situations that have happened. They've posted up fifty thousand to help. Well, they aid. post the bomb, but they haven't had to pay it. No, 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 no bomb. No, no actually, they no, no. no, no. fifty thousand was no. It's a reward money. It's a reward. It's a reward money. It's a reward money. But they've never really had to use it because nobody's really narked and come through, have they? I, yeah, I, they did last year. I, Somebody I, actually did. You know what? That that was that case. It was either the case with the the Chamorro store in Southfield or the one that happened. Oh, Cronin, yes. The one in Cronin. It was either Cronin. It was yeah. either Cronin or or the uh, the one that happened last year in Sterling Heights with the the guy with the four kids who uh, who had just beaten cancer before they killed him. Uh, Sulaka Basil Sulaka, his name was, I think. Okay, but the, no, I think the Camaro case is still at large. No, no, they caught. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. They oh, caught they those guys. Uh-huh. Oh, that's uh-huh. wonderful. Oh yeah, they uh-huh. caught those Good. guys. Well, they do that. I mean, at least that's good. We, we've got the chambers that helps on that situation too. Um, it was started. They do that through that wide Murad Advocacy Fund. So that's, I mean, that 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 helps. I've seen them. They come through. They work with Crime Stoppers and all that too as well. So I mean, hey. you at least have somebody helping us somewhere. Eamon, thanks a lot for calling, man. Uh, no problem. My pleasure. Thanks, Eamon. Uh, God bless, man. Thank you. We'll thanks, definitely bud. keep you updated, too. Thanks for being on the right. show. Take care. Thank Have a good night. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. We got our uh, we got our next caller on the line, uh, Ziad. Ziad? Okay. Guess not. <laughs> He may, 
Ziyad. Okay. Is uh, Z should be on in a minute. Um, make sure to make but, uh, that metro payment. Gotta make that um, metro payment. What, what Eamon said is is you know is something that I think most most people who have been in this situation come to realize, unfortunately. And um, the the thing is that something like this, um, you know, you don't really. I don't think you can ever heal from completely. Um, Bishop Francis once said to me, and I wholeheartedly agree with him, he said, most people live by this cliche statement that time heals all wounds, and it does not. Uh, And and it really doesn't. Um, I I think you learn to live with it, but I don't think you ever completely heal from it. I think there's the scar there. You know? Yeah, I I agree with you. I I could say that, you know, um, that, that, that definitely does. And, you know, there's a um there's a lot of people who who have you know in our community have gone through I mean there's been 200 plus hasn't there in in the last what 25 30 years that that we know of well recorded I believe the book stated uh 110 that and that was that was a book that was released but back in 88 I believe there were 100 or 110 there was another book that was released in 05 um, I haven't seen the numbers in there, but my personal guess is that there's got to be 200 plus that have been, you know, slain between here and San Diego. Uh, you know, I think it's it's closer to 200. Mark, what do you think? I think that figure is definitely high. I mean, there's been uh, that's it's one of the most dangerous jobs. I mean, being a I don't care like again, not just looking at our people, whether you're. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Koreans that own stores in bad neighborhoods in, in Los Angeles and right. in and around those areas. It's just, it's one of those things, you know, there's not a lot of people in the store. And you are you might be in a rough area. It's late at night. And especially if you sell any kind of booze, there's a... It comes with the territory. Yeah, it's just a big danger, especially when it comes time to open or close your business. Those are the toughest times. Toughest. I was always thinking about that. How do you, how do you ever, how do you ever get around that? Like... It's just so it's just tough. We uh we finally got Ziad on the line. Ziad. Omar, how are you? Good, how you doing, brother? Yeah, sorry about that, man. I can I can hear you now though. No problem. You're on now. So uh <laughs> good. we we got uh, there there are four of us in here. You got uh four you got four co hosts. You got myself, my brother Junior, my friend Mark, and we got a Steve, our engineer. Hey Junior, Mark, Steve, how are you guys? What's happening, man? Thanks for calling in. Absolutely, man. My pleasure. I love talking to Omar about, you know, all kinds of topics. So, Ziad, uh, your your father was killed, uh, I believe, in 2012, right? Yes, May 1st, 2012. Okay. Um, wh- where were you when, when this happened? What You know, how did you get word of it? And, you know, t- tell us exactly how it went down. Um, well, it was, it was uh, May 1st. 2012, and I was just, I had just opened up my store. Uh, I had a store in Warren. And uh, as soon as, I, about maybe, the lights weren't even on. I remember that. And I just see my brother um, running into the, you know, dri- driving like a madman into the parking lot. And he runs into the store and he, he just yells, you know, Dad got shot. Dad's been shot. And I dropped everything, locked the store, and I, I raced to the store. And uh, and it was the probably the fastest yet longest drive of my life. Well, and and where was the store at? 
Uh, he, his store was uh, on the corner of Dexter and Boston in uh, Detroit, just north okay. of Chicago Road. So, um, you know, you hear a lot of uh, them talk about Boston Edison District and the beautiful homes that are, are over there. But um, he was he was about a mile or two miles uh, east, or I'm sorry, west of the of that area, so Boston and Dexter. Was was the person who did it ever caught? Uh, Z? No, no, and to this date, um, it, nothing, no, nobody's come forward to, with any information and whatever information, whatever uh, the Detroit Police Department and the, the Wayne County Sheriff worked on, uh, has, nothing has, has come through to, to warrant somebody being arrested for the crime. Man, that's, wow. the, the, that's the part that even eats you even harder. You had no closure. Mm-hmm. Which makes it which makes it ten times worse because it's it's um yeah it eats you up beats I, you down. I know it. I know it. There's not a day that goes by you know you don't think about it and you don't it doesn't eat you up just a little bit you know and just it, it's 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 one of those things where you know I'm you know I'm 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 starting a young family my brothers both you know recently married starting families so we're just trying to you know be there for each other and grow and and raise our families now but that that definitely looms a big cloud over our heads when we think about it. Were you guys also, uh, like we just, uh, with the last caller we spoke about, were you like another one of the stores that's like part of the neighborhood, part of all, like everyone got along with you great, and like I said, you know yeah. your customers, their kids, and everybody else? Uh, I I can assure you my dad was a fixture in that in that city, and in, in, in that he was the main voice for the the liquor store owners in Detroit. He was an advocate. He was a big member for Associated Food and Petroleum Dealers. He was the chairman, obviously. But more more importantly to him, he was he was a, a father figure to a lot of the, the the kids that grew up around there. He was he was on that corner. He was, he worked in in Detroit on that on Dexter for upwards of thirty years. Everyone knew Freddie. Everyone knew who he was. Everyone knew. You know, you know the kind of person he was, and um, one of the one, I share this story a lot of a lot of times with people. You know, one of the last conversations I had with my dad was on Easter, and um, I walked into the house and there was a couple of um, Easter eggs that had been colored, and I, I I asked my mom, I go, you know, did you did you do these? And she's like, no, go talk to your father. I went and talked to him. He goes, you know what I did with those? He goes, last week I took 100 eggs and I call he colored them with his employees at work. And he handed out Easter eggs to all the kids that came in the store. Wow! Yeah, I'm telling you that this is these are the stories the media needs to know too because I've said it all the time. We are a part of the our stores are a part of the neighborhood. We're a part of the families. It's not like stores in the suburbs where, like I said, it's just a generic. I'm the customer. You're the person running the business. Right. It's a very, very, very personal thing, and we take pride. We're people, persons, yeah. and we're we are a part of those communities. You build a connection yeah. with the community. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It gets, that gets lost. It really does. It does get lost. People don't really don't get really look like you don't hear that. You don't see that. Just like you said, so it's difficult. It's difficult. We're gonna have uh, uh, Ziad. You you know, a second hour. You might want to. Stick around and listen. Uh, Vanessa is going to be on with us representing the uh, AFPD. Uh, O'Day couldn't make it. He was going to be on. I, I you know, called him. He couldn't make it. So uh, Vanessa sure. is going to be on. 
you know, and uh, you know, I, I, I gotta say, you know, my, I'm, I'm, I'm a member at of AFPD uh, in my store, and um, they, when, when everything happened, you know, they and and the organization literally carried us on their shoulders. They were, they were, they were everything. They helped us through. To this day, they help us, and there's still a, an open reward that the AFD, AFPD has put up for fifty thousand dollars for the leading to the conviction of of whoever whoever it is that, that committed the crime and you know I can't say enough about how important AFPD is especially for us small liquor owners and convenience store owners and gas station operators you know they're 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 more than just an organization they're really they're really solid solid good people now Auday is just an awesome guy uh you know what he like first class all the way um, I mean, the AFPD could not have a better person running the organization than him, I tell you that much. Great I guy. I agree, absolutely. Um, before we let you go, just tell us real quick right now, how, how is the family coping with this? I mean, it's it's been two years, but, you know, we, we've been saying all along, and I'm sure, you, I'm sure you've, you've realized this by now, but some things just don't ever completely heal. No, they don't, and it's, you know... It, 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 a lot of times when you when you when you go through a tragic loss and 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 if I do a lot of you know reading and I try and you know I I try and help myself through you know educating myself of, of other people that have gone through you know big losses and 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 tragic events like this and you're, you 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 can let the you can let the tragedy define you or you can come out of it uh, a, a completely different and better person you know wholeheartedly so the tragic the tragic event that happened to our family brought us closer than we've we've ever been, um, and we're all coping with it. We're doing well. We're there for each other. You know, everyone's in a good place. And you know, like I said, aside from the you know the big shadow that 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 that's cast over us in terms of it, us not having any closure and and no one brought to justice, you know, we're doing well. We're there for each other. You know, we're we're a good a good tight knit family. So we're dealing with it. That's great to hear, man. Z, thanks for calling in, brother. Yeah, thanks, man. We totally appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Take care, Z. Have a good one. God bless your family. And Omar, thank thank you, Omar, for uh, for for bringing this to bringing all this to light. You know, you've done a lot. You the video that you that you made on YouTube after my father died. You know, you you should definitely get a lot of uh, praise for for helping out and being an advocate for this kind of stuff. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I'm not really looking for praise. I'm looking for a way to minimize (laughs) this shit. So I know it's difficult, man. Thank you. So Thank you, brother. Thank you. Thanks, Have, a good good. Have a good night, buddy. Good night. Good night. Yep. Bye. So, uh, you know, another another case here. and um, You know, Omar, I want to tell you, it's, it's, a little, it's, it's different. So, you know, when someone walks up, man, you always hear conversations like, and I'm sure, Mark, you always get to, you know, not always, but, man, they see us walking around because we have guns, right? Yeah. We protect. Lift up a little bit and stare. It's like, man, you know what I would do if... No. There's no, you know what I would do if. Because when that moment comes and that heart races double the speed and you're sweating... You can't even think straight. There's no thinking straight. You can always plan ahead. You know, here's here's a little crazy thing that my manager kind of shits and giggles with me about. But he goes to me, you're on point. I've caught thieves in my store. It's a garden store. I've caught thieves in there. Right under their nose. Like you said, they were so yeah. comfortable with the woman or whoever it was that was in front of them. They had no clue that as they're talking to them, she's slipping stuff in her purse. Mm-hmm. That's how it was. 
and I showed them. I've set my office, which is their office at times when I'm not there and what have you. The office is set to the register. I had the register originally set in the beginning where it was right in the front. When you first walked in through the doors, you'd be greeted with the register, the checkout register, and behind you was the whole store. So their back was turned. And I said, about three months into it, I said, guys, something bad's going to happen over here. I I'm not really digging this. You can get cut, hit from behind so yeah. easy. So it does take some of us to think common sense of what could practically happen. I took the register, and I put it towards the middle of the store with a 180 degree so I can aim every which way to see the whole store. And my only thing against my back was the wall. So I had no element of surprise behind you know, yeah. for And same for my guys. Office is open, direct, and then there's a gun in there, and I said, listen, guys, give the money up. That's the first and yeah. foremost. Obviously, right, you never want to put your guys nope. at risk. You always give them that. So, Omar, back to that, too. Give up the money. Never, never ever think twice about that because that money is replaceable, right? So I was telling that, but the visibility, I said, you guys got opportunities. to. They don't see somebody to pop a shot off if you have to. But again, and I said to them, but I can tell you every if damn situation. It don't matter because when it happens, it happens. You know, it's like. That's it. Just you, like Ziad's dad. He was sitting in the car on a normal day. Dave DePaul. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Someone's we on. Got, we got our, our next caller is uh, Junior Yono. Junior. Hello. How you doing, brother? Good. How are you? Good. Hey. This is Omar. How are you, Omar? Good. Thank you. Hey, Junior, what's up, buddy? It's Junior. <laughs> How are you? Good, good, my friend. Good. It's good to it's good to hear and um, to have you on tonight. Cause, uh, it's Thanks a, for it's having a, me. Yeah, yeah. Thank you, good. Junior. Your uh, your your case is pretty. Uh, I, I hate to use the word unique, but it is unique. You had both your bro brother and your father were killed in the same incident, uh, and I believe it was in 2001, right? December 14th, 2001, 3.15 3 in the afternoon. Yep. Wow. So tell us, uh, where were you when it happened, and you know, how did you get the call and, and all that? I was at my office in Port Huron, and um, my mom or somebody from the store hit the memory button. One of our customers um, hit the memory one, which called my mom's house. The lady was looking for me and my brother, Justin. My sister, Amanda, actually answered the phone. And she didn't want to tell her what had happened, so she kept asking, kept asking. And she finally told her, you know, your dad and brother have been shot. I need to talk to your brother. And uh, that's when they called me. And that was the longest ride but the shortest time I've ever been in a car. Um, it was raining. It was cold. Um, it was traffic-y from 94 to Port Huron, from Port Huron to city of the east side of Detroit. Um, I can picture it right now in front of me, actually. Um, when I got there, there was already police there. Two guys had walked in the store. One shot my brother was in the back. The other one shot my dad. It was in the front. Bulletproof doors always open. Four guys were involved. Two out of the four we've known for over 20 years. Um, $350, $380 was taken in two lives. So, so uh, 
the two of the guys that were involved were actually customers? Yeah, long-time customers. Wow. Jeez. That's crazy. That's sad. Was <clears throat> was um were they caught immediately? I mean, uh, just just cur- out of curiosity because you know sometimes it either happens immediately, June, or it's gonna be months after because of whatever mistake some somewhere else. Because we've always seemed to find it kind of tough for the uh, neighborhood to give up people, don't we? Well, no, actually, in this case, it was totally different. We had a lady that pulled up behind the getaway car that was walking into the store and heard the three gunshots, four gunshots, ran back to her car, but noticed the driver. And then the guy that actually went in the store to see where my dad and brother were, when he walked out, he basically made a left onto the street and cut in between two houses. A 12-year-old witness um, in police history never had a 12-year-old witness come forward in a homicide. Wow. During the trial, we had like 18 witnesses from the neighborhood. Um, One guy was apprehended that night. Uh, Another guy turned himself in after two days. That's one of the guys that we known. Another guy was apprehended like a week later. And then my dad shooter was on the run for about four months, was caught in Youngstown, Ohio, um, through the FBI's most wanted task force. Um, He was left in Ohio. Detroit police never knew he was captured. We actually called him and told him that he is now in Wayne County Jail. They didn't even know. So by the time they found out and got to him, he already had an attorney, couldn't take a statement. Um, didn't want to talk. We had to give him a plea of 10 to 25 for second-degree murder instead of first-degree because the system um, is screwed up, like you were saying earlier. He got, he's getting away with murder. We just went to a parole board hearing for the third time in 13 years, and he's got a chance of coming home because of something Detroit police didn't follow up on quick enough where they could have got a statement from him like they did the other three. And after getting a statement, he did put himself there at the scene um, claiming he wasn't the shooter, but he, we, we know he was. But he's got a chance of coming home after taking two lives. And you were saying that that could take place in May, right? Um, well, he we went in February. He goes up in front of the parole board in May himself, and it's up to the parole board whether they want to keep him or let him go. His minimum was ten. His max is twenty-five. What a shame! And have you talked to any attorneys to see if this could be deterred or stopped? Um, we've spoken to a few different people. Um, Couple senators, Congress people, mayors, governor. Um, we've gotten letters from all kind of people, in all kind of places in the high ends, and it's it's the system. You can't change it. You can't go back. Even the guy admit being there, he had to give a plea. You can't use co-defendant evidence against co-defendant. 
Okay, so they so basically you're saying they did end up snitching out on one another is what they did and gave up who was doing what, but they weren't able to use that in that situation. So this guy ended up getting a plea. It's it's unfair. It's it's a crock of shit. Yeah, that's what I think. It's it's a crock of shit. It really is. I mean, you 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 know. Let me tell you something. Your your brother, great guy. You know how long I've been around Justin and him since we were kids, and I've been yep. friends with them for a long time. And I remember that when we had, well, not we, I was part of what you guys had when you guys had that event outside the store when you guys shut it down. And the neighborhood loved you guys, and you can tell that they embraced the family, like that, that you guys were uh, you guys were well well loved and what have you. And everybody was cool as can be and hated the fact of what happened. But it still doesn't change it. It went down. You guys got screwed in the system. And that's what makes it continue because, June, in this situation, guy goes free. He's home. Fifteen years later, he's okay, home. he did his he did his bid, right? That's what they say. Isn't that what it is? You did your bid, you're back. Now, <clears throat> the next guy who comes up or somebody young who looks up and says, man, my uncle's in. He just did a 15-year stretch and whatever. He's already back home. And they idolize this stuff. And, and it's all yeah. it's going to do is just create the next monster to do the next robbery and create the next murder. The, the system tells them that they can get away with it when they do a murder and get away. Just yesterday on the news, a carjacker is going to do life in prison. All he yeah. did was carjack somebody, life in prison. Yeah. Did but he kill that murder person? That admits, admits that he was there and it was a part of the crime. Can come home. Man, I know, I know people that have, I know people that have from back when we were growing up who sold pot by heavy amounts. Who did more time than somebody who took somebody's life? Who killed them yep. on the spot? I just told right. my my dad's shooter got 15 years, let go, and there was no contesting it really back then at that time because I mean it was in the mid 70s. A lot of the Chaldeans were new to it and all that stuff, but yeah, that's it's just it's unfair. He's walking, he's got a family probably or whatever he's living. Whether it's guilt inside him, who knows? But he's still out there. He's alive. He's enjoying life, breathing. What do you think is more effective if we had capital punishment or just giving them a stiffer sentence? Yeah, capital punishment. I hate to say it. Yeah. I, you know, capital I'm, I'm, punishment I'm, is good. Yes. I'm not to say I'm some religious guy who's at church every Sunday and, and reading the Bible. I'm a Christian. I, I believe in a lot of our faith. But I also believe that it's not – I mean, there, there's a lesson that needs to be taught, okay? And if you're going to take somebody's life, your life – now here, here's the hard part where somebody's going to contest that and say, "Well, what if we wrongly accuse the man, and after going after appeals and all this and back and forth, and then we find him, you know, wrongfully accused ten years later, which they have now, yeah. but it's advanced so much more now." I think with DNA, you can pretty yeah. much identify who it is. Yeah, yeah. I think these days it's changed versus what it was back then. So a capital it's easier to identify sure. these days. Yeah, I'm pro capital punishment, man. Like right yeah, now, if this like, guy walks the street after committing a murder, like we told the parole board, look at the guy in Farmington Hills that was killed. He wasn't even out three months. Yeah. And he was right back in. He's right back in jail. The yeah. four guys for Shelby Township, uh, when they committed their crimes, two out of four were habitual offenders. Um, the guy in... Uh, um, uh, there was no there, there was there was Novi too. There was the guy who, who Novi, uh, yes. Yep, yep. That the, guy yeah. ended up killing himself and 
you know, he went on a spree for, I don't know how many stores, seven or eight stores, he had killed people. Actually, Sorry. one of the guys that came work for me was involved in one of those. He thought his life was in front of him. You know, you, you guys know the story that, the fable about the, uh, the, the, the toad and the scorpion. Oh yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, he he basically was cross he he was he was crossing the river and he and and, and the scorpion got on the toad's back, you know, because he trusted him. He fed him a bunch of bullshit, right? Kind of mm-hmm. what you feed the uh, the the parole board, right, guys? Bunch of bullshit just to get out of there. So they get him out, but what happens? The scorpion stings the toad halfway across the river, and he goes to him, "You idiot!" He goes, "Now we're both gonna drown." And the scorpion says to him, "It's in my nature." Yeah. So they're gonna if they did it that time they're gonna, they're do, gonna it do it again in like, their nature. It's like, like rapists. You need to have castration. Yeah, I hate yeah. to say it because somebody yeah. who's <clears throat> who yeah. does that kind of thing to Has children no or whatever, chemical or regular castration, either one. That's it. But there's got to be some type of thing because those guys come out and they do the same, same thing, thing over and over. Yep. Well, my dad shooter was already on parole for um, a gun violation and check fraud. And was an habitual and, and fled when he was on FBI's most wanted for murder. But when he gets here, he can't be charged with first-degree murder. Here you're looking for him, publicizing it all over the news, all over every radio station, TV station, wanted for first-degree murder. FBI's most wanted, Michigan's most wanted. When they catch him, they can't charge him with it. Isn't that That's crazy? Shit. Oh, man. Is it ever... Is it ever? But watch if you catch somebody with K two, look what they'll do. Oh yeah, you know what I'm yeah. saying. If you catch, if you catch K two, I mean, it, it, it not, I'm not justifying it. You know what I mean? I'm not to say that like you I mean, do this. Doing it's a comparative. Okay. Yep, I'm just saying it's just it, it's if you the get way caught with a gun now, you're gonna get more charge. Just getting caught with a gun, if yeah. you're a habitual, you get more time than this guy's getting for murder. <laughs> Carjacking, just taking somebody's car from them. You're going to get life from prison. Not taking a life to get out in 10 years. My friend, you do tax evasion, you're going to be getting 12 to 15 oh, yeah. years. You got me? You know what I'm saying? Because you you hurt their pockets a little bit. You put these guys back on the streets, you're gaining their pockets. They have another case yep. 10 years later. Yep. They're ready to go. They're back in the system, and the money keeps rolling again. Bullshit. Yeah, JR, how, is, right. uh, how has your family coped with it ever since it happened? How have you coped with it, and how has the rest of the family coped with it? Um, it's not a day that doesn't go by that they're not in our thoughts, in our memory. You do something and it reflects back to them. It's been 13 years, three months, four days today that my mom's still wearing black, doesn't go anywhere, doesn't leave the house. Not her same. Uh, my son, which is going to be 13, was six months old. We've taken him with us to the parole board hearing. That was Jack's godson. Um... It even affects him not even knowing them just because sure. the nature, the, the thoughts, the talks, the memories, uh, the family members that bring it up, you know, family occasions. You had the best grandfather. You had the best uncle. It it would never go away. It will never go away for you guys either, even though no. you guys were younger. It, it's a thought that never leaves your mind. Um, nope. And your guard's always up. Everything you think about, it, it always reflects back to that situation. It, it always, some way, somehow, I was just at a funeral for the Yonos. Um, 
everybody that's seen me, you had the best dad. You know, it was a, a funeral where people couldn't, there was no room to sit in the funeral. It was a big Yono funeral. And every other person, Adam Hasababu, you know, God rest your dad's soul. He was the best man. It's all you hear. And like that four hours was like 30 minutes. It went by so fast. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, it's, yeah. it's tough. There's no, uh, I mean, like we were saying earlier, I don't know if you if you were listening earlier, but, um, you know, again, it's it's some, some things, some things just don't, uh, will never heal. I mean, uh, time does not heal all wounds. It can't. And uh, it's it's just something that will scar you for the rest of your life. It will. Anybody. I mean, something that happens like this, it's, it's a big tragedy. It's a tragedy on the whole community, not actually just the family. That's the hard, That's the hardest part. See, like you know, we're men, right? We 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 hold that composure of such strong guys, and you know, it doesn't get affected. And you know what? Listen, men are not. I'll tell you what. I personally never never met my father, but when you hear more and more stories over and over, you wish you did in that sense of it, yeah. and it tears you apart when you're all alone. And and no matter what, nobody can ever take that away. But at the same time, it strengthens you because then when you are around people who are broken down, you have a way of lifting them up because that's what our angels that were taken give us the ability to do for the people that are not strong enough to do it. Yep, you're right. That's uh, Junior, and I know this is a, a tough question for anybody to really have an answer for, but it's still something we should all try and look at or whatever. But do you think anything can be done to to minimize these kind of incidents? Never. It's it's the the it's the life that we live, and it's not in the city of Detroit. I own a liquor store now in Pontiac, and I don't have bulletproof. I, you know, now after all our tragedy and family tragedies, when it's our day, I believe it's our day. No matter, you could be driving, you could be walking, you could be working. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's the society that we live in. It's the system that we live in that's screwed up, that gives them chances more than once. I don't think we can ever get out of this. I I I don't disagree with you, and uh, you know it. I mean the the system the system, it's not foolproof, but at the same time they don't make it any better for us when they do this. And when you see something like that, it's almost like, you know, if, if I was in a situation to be able to change, and I seen a situation where like you guys got screwed on on a on a little technicality like that, I'd figure every way possible to change it or amend it or make a bill or something to pass it. And and so the next guy doesn't get hit with it, and do it in vain of our families. That's really what it what, what it comes down to. Because, dude, if it happened to you, it's gonna happen to the next guy, and the next guy is just gonna feel like how we felt, screwed. Exactly. It wasn't the first. It's not gonna be the last. I mean, we've taken nope. it up to the front of the governor. Um, during our parole board, we had senators, um, we had politicians there with us that spoke to the parole board, and does it work? Uh, we don't know. I mean, every every parole board was different. Every person we met had different feelings. Every person did their 
uh, evaluation on the inmate different. They look for different things. Um, some of them showed their emotion and their composure, but some of them, you know, it's their job. This is what they do all day long. They can't hold a grudge on one because of all. You know, I'm going to um, just read you off this quote before we get off to our second half right now. Um, this uh, Somebody had posted this and sent it to us a while back, but it says, It has been said time heals all wounds. I do not agree. The wounds remain. In time, the mind protecting its sanity covers them with scar tissue, and the pain lessens, but it is never gone. And I think that's how we live day by day. We just protect it and cover it just to hold our sanity in. You're right. So, Junior, thank you for calling, brother. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for calling me. in. Thanks, Junior. Thank God, God bless you. God bless you and thank your you. family. Thanks, God bless buddy. Thank you. Take thank care. You. God bless you. Bye-bye. We're going to take a short break, and when we come back, we'll have Vanessa Denhagarmo from the AFPD um, representing. Sure to too. And uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this situation, and we'll be right back. Looking to sell your property? Looking to purchase a property? Commercial? Residential? Rental? Vacant land? Oakland Real Estate Associates. Over 30 years of experience. Let one of our professional realtors guide you through the whole process. You could find us at www.getyouahouse.com. That's www.getyouahouse.com. You can reach us at 248 248- Seven nine 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 seven. Oakland Real Estate and Associates. Relax, you're almost home. Big O Productions, one of Michigan's premier recording studios, offers many great services: piano lessons, on-hold phone messages, custom commercial jingles professional studio recordings, just to name a few. We offer the highest quality at affordable prices. Contact Omar Benu at omarbenu at gmail.com. That's O-M-A-R-B-I-N-N-O at gmail.com. You can also find Omar Benu's work at www.bigoproductions.net. That's www. .bigoproductions.net Invest, the international network for vocational educational skills training, is a Michigan not-for-profit company dedicated to the implementation of education in underserved communities. For more than six years, Invest has structured educational programs geared towards the preservation of cultural and moral values through classroom and beyond. With two locations, Invest offers quality education in a nurturing, supportive atmosphere. The elementary, middle, and high school offer free breakfast, lunch, free uniforms, and transportation, and free classroom materials. Strict discipline and tradition are trademarks of Invest, and its loving environment has proven to be a strong asset to the community. Invest enrollment is open throughout the year. Come visit us and allow us to educate, protect, and nurture your children. Call 248-399-7033. That's 248-399-7033. Or visit us on the web 
at www.investschool.org. That's www.investschool.org. Thanks to everybody that's been listening and calling into the Boiler Room. Did you know that we could advertise your business, event, or an announcement? Send us an email request at boilerroom309 at gmail.com. That's boilerroom309 at gmail.com. on Mark Cassis. Didn't we do great? I think we did. That's a beautiful song. That's very touching. It, and, and it filled a lot of memories, too. Yep. I remember I used to be playing Atari 2600 in the kitchen while my parents were watching Faisal Audible back in the no, day. I remember when uh, Faisal had an uh, American guy in the interview, and he said, well, let me tell you something, Faisal. <laughs> he called him Faisal? Yeah. <laughs> he called him Faisal. <laughs> we, got, uh, we got another co-host that walked in, loud as usual. Raffit. Raffit is uh, currently spitting food out of his mouth. As <laughs> He's in the other speak. room eating, guys. Oh. He's got a really cool turkey sandwich, mustard potato salad. Is the mustard Diet all over Pepsi. his face? No, he's doing no it's on us. He's in a tidy. <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> he went to Hiller's. No, Heartland. 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 That's right. Good choice. So uh, we heard some really interesting... Uh, stories um you know last last hour uh pretty touching pretty emotional um definitely makes you wish there was more you could do again to to minimize this stuff uh i mean having a, a father and a brother killed in one one incident is you know it's uh it's pretty uh, it's pretty whacked you know just to say the least so um right now we uh on, on the line we have uh we have Vanessa Garmo from the uh, who's representing the AFPD tonight. Arde could not be on online, uh, so he had uh, uh, Vanessa uh, represent, and we're going to talk a little bit uh, with her because the AFPD has been dealing with Fred Daly's case, and uh, maybe we'll go through some possible solutions or possible ideas of what what might be done. Vanessa, hi Omar, hi guys. Hey Vanessa. Hey Vanessa. Hi, how you doing, Mark? Good, good. Can That's I, can I say a, something real quick? For sure. Sure. I'm sorry. I said you had a correct profit there. He better have gone to Heartland. Yeah, I was just gonna say, man. <laughs> Listen, I want to say one thing before we start with Vanessa. Okay. Uh, you know how I always, you know how I always talk about the media and the things that they do that are, you know, obviously with a lot of uh-huh. uh, issues with the media right now. I gotta say, Vanessa is what the media is supposed to be. And you know mm, you're, you're you. one of the only people out there. I'm not trying to embarrass you on the show, but listen, it's the truth. You got <laughs> honesty, integrity, and you care about what you do. 
It's too bad we can't take you and clone you and put you on all the major news stations. <laughs> Thank just you. Just had I to say that. that Thank you, Mark. Just, I appreciate he's just trying, it. He's just trying to get you to shop at Heartland. That's why he's telling you. No, <laughs> I no, shop no. there all the time. I shop at Heartland all the time. Um, especially they're, they're also an APD member and one of our independent retailers. Um, but, you know, I, I got to hear a part of that uh, tail end of Junior's um, story, and it's very heart-wrenching. I can't even imagine that. And, you know, I didn't, obviously I never had a parent or anybody in my family killed in their store, but, you know, I, I lost a father to cancer. I mean, you say time heals all wounds. You don't ever forget. I mean, even though he died from cancer and wasn't murdered, you still don't ever forget that person. And to know that your family member was killed uh, so senselessly over 300 bucks, I mean, it's, it's, I can't imagine, to me, the, to, to get rid of the anger would be hard. You know, Vanessa, don't you think that this is my biggest contention, and this is my biggest issue with um, the media out there, because... What they do is, you know, every it's like their annual thing, the, D, the Detroit News and the Free Press and everybody, to go out there and talk about how bad these stores are in Detroit and how they treat customers bad, mm-hmm. when it's quite mm-hmm. the opposite. We are actually like family to people in the city. I know. You're- Absolutely. And that, that's been one of my biggest gripes, too, and my challenge uh, with the ASPD and, and handling their media is, you know, uh, we've had some successes in conveying that message, especially when it came to Fred Daly, because the the customers came out in droves and told the media, you know, we love this guy. He was part of our family. You know, we shopped on credit. You know, well, that's another thing people don't realize. All of our store owners have, have allowed people to get credit for years for, you know, so they can buy food for their family. You can't walk into a big box store or chain store and say, hey, can you can you let me slide for 10 bucks this week? You know, I need to buy bread and milk for my kids. Um, you know, they become, and, and Fred, you know, used to make Easter eggs for their customers, for their kids, and he was such a big part of their lives. And, uh, it, yeah, people don't, the media doesn't see that side and doesn't tell that side uh, the story because there's a few, what happens, Mark, there are a few, you know, heavyweights in the city who go and cry uh, and, and, and try to strong arm some of the store owners. And when they don't get what they want, they go to the media and say, hey, look, they have expired bologna on their shelf. You know, and, and it becomes a joke. But they don't tell the side about, you know, how these people are uh, sponsoring their Little League and their basketball games and their church picnics, you know, and, and are, are part of um, the community. In fact, a lot of these store owners that spend more time in that community than they in their own homes. Yeah, I used to work with a Coach Robert Brown. We used to have a program called the United Youth 2000. And what we used to mm-hmm. do is the the basketball program, he's in the Michigan Hall of Fame. He only has one arm that was working, seven foot tall. And uh, long story short, he actually was in high school, he was All-American, and he was going to get drafted to go pro, blew out his knee. Well, he had been passed through school because he was All-American. He was dyslexic. And he went into a in, he went into a tailspin, a big depression, uh, became addicted to drugs. He pulled himself out of all that, uh, became very Catholic, and he uh, uh, ended up going and getting a master's degree and became a teacher and a mentor. So we had a program called mm-hmm. United 2000. And what we used to do is the basketball was just a draw to get the kids there. A lot of kids from single parent homes, and then mm-hmm. every every Saturday. There'd be three hours of basketball, and then I sponsored, so we'd give, we'd feed all the kids after the basketball, and we'd teach them about 
the Catholic faith and like about mm-hmm. respect and things that you would be missing in the household when the father's not there. Sure. And you know, these are things that I didn't care. I never went to the news to tell about or whatever. And honestly, I don't like talking about this stuff. I'm not trying to make myself look good, but it is a fact. We did do a lot of stuff with the community. Mm-hmm. You know, we did we worked with a lot of people in the community in different ways and helped a lot of people out, but the news mm-hmm. never sees that. They don't care about that. They just want to make up their silly little stories about some party store in a bad area that doesn't take care of their customers the right way when 99% of us do the right thing. Yeah, I you know, and I agree, and that's a challenge. And unfortunately, the way the media operates, and there are some really good reporters, and, and I remember when Fred Daly uh, was killed, the media was outraged, and they covered it extensively. But, you know, um, when it bleeds, it leads. You know, murder is always going to be at the top of the list. Um, but um, but you're right. It, it's not always easy, you know, to tell those good, feel-good stories, Mark, and it's not sexy or sensationalized. And, um, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we have to tell it. You should tell that story. That should be on social media. That You know, those are stories you should go around telling people because people need to know those stories. Unfortunately, it may not always end up in mainstream media, but the way the world works today with social media we have so many different avenues to get those messages out, and I think it's really important that you use those tools. I mean, uh, Junior's talking about uh, going up against the parole board and making sure uh, this murderer doesn't get out. And, you know, I don't think he should get out after 15 years either. Is, is his brother and his, his dad going to come to life, uh, uh, back to life after 15 years? No. You know, so why should he be free after 15 years? Um, so, you know, and, and, you know, you can write, you can, you can use social media and other tools to start telling that message and getting, you know, attention of people. And sometimes social media will drive traditional media to cover a story. I totally agree. When some, you know, things can really gain steam on social media and, and garner some quick attention that would otherwise mm-hmm. be impossible. I mean, he's got a compelling story and, you know, putting on my reporter hat, you know, it's hard because I don't know how much he can do and can he possibly win. I mean, I don't know really how that works. And do a lot of people fight the parole board on a regular basis every time a murderer is about to come up for parole? I, you know, I don't know. I'd have to research that and see how, how that really works. But there's got to be angles that would get media's attention and the fact that the family's fighting it and the message is strong. I mean, you know, he killed two people, two people. He took the life. He changed the lives of an entire family. It'll never be the same. So why should he come out and have freedom? And this is a guy who had a record before he killed, you know, uh, Junior's father and brother. Um, So you do have strong arguments. And the fact that he's taken it to all these elected leaders, you know, political leaders, you know, you kind of wonder what will happen there. Um, But I do think you can tell that story. Vanessa, I think uh, this is an idea that – that I wanted to pursue after the the short uh, video tribute that I did a couple of years ago, and uh, you and I had mm-hmm. started talking yeah, talking yeah. about it, but I really mm-hmm. really think it's it's got a lot of fruit if it's pursued. But I think a good documentary um, about mm-hmm. these cases would would definitely mm-hmm. garner some some attention. Yeah, it's, it's because you know you're you're dying to make a living. That's what it is. You're right. dying to make a living, and it's, it's kind of a plan of words, but that's what's happening. And, you know, you risk your life every day you walk into a store and, and run a business. I mean, and I think a documentary would be um, very important, um, Omar, and a great message because I don't think people understand um, the, the, how compelling these stories are and how tragic 
these these um, murders are. I mean, it's just it's horrible. And we've had so many in our community, um, and and not just Chaldean ASPD is obviously not a Chaldean organization. There have been store owners, you know, that have been killed. But we, the Chaldean community, has had a lot of um, people murdered in their stores over the years. Right. So I, I definitely so, would would personally. Uh you know, encourage and and would want to be a part of uh, a, a, the production of a documentary because, like you said, the yeah. stories are are so compelling, and they really mm-hmm. are. Uh, they're compelling. Mm-hmm. They're tragic. Um, you know, I and, mean, and Fred Daly. I mean, not to not to. I, I don't know Junior's family, but I can tell about Fred Daly. This is an educated man. He didn't even have to run the medicine chest anymore. This guy had a college degree. He did it because he loved the community. He has educated children. He was part of the, the community. There was a $50,000 reward, and we still can't find the murders because people don't give up people easily in the community. And so that's part of the story you tell in the documentary. I mean, this is a man who didn't even need to be in the city anymore operating a business. But without Fred Daly and that store medicine chest, a lot of those customers would have nowhere to go. Yep. I, do you th- I got a question. Do you think that... One, should we do some things? Like I've suggested some things to Aude before to bridge the gap between the store owner and the community even more. One of the things I suggested was if we took, let's face it, in a lot of the, you know, forget about the downtown area because, you know, that's the part that they spend all the money in to make it all shiny Mm -hmm. and new. Let's get a couple Mm -hmm. of miles off the downtown area where you get into the real neighborhoods where people live, right? Mm -hmm. So. There's not a lot of places for kids to do anything. There's not a lot of parks. <clears throat> There's not a lot of parks or recreation for kids to do. So my suggestion was we start taking one park slash basketball court at a time, and we get the store owners in the area. It's not going to take much money because we can get people to donate like a bla- re-black topping, you know, mm-hmm. the surface of mm-hmm. the basketball court and redoing the nets. We had mm-hmm. done ourselves, we donated some that we had uh, – done a deal with Coca-Cola and we put those uh we put the basketball nets in the in the local uh park with our name on them with KNG's name on them at the time but I feel like we could resurface it and whatever mm-hmm. stores donate we could put their logos on the court and and then dedicate that basketball court with a ribbon cutting with the mayor for the neighborhoods yeah I I love that idea you told me that about that idea a while ago and I know we talked about it but you know at one point remember mark we took that to the city with you remember you took it to the city uh, under i think it was under kwame and he had no interest in that well yeah kwame of course because you know kwame had his own agenda so this (laughs) might be a little different now with duggan and and we took it yeah maybe with duggan because we took it remember we took that we 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 kind of played around with that idea under bing's administration too and didn't go anywhere and maybe under duggan's administration it would go somewhere i think it's a i think it's a great idea um, and you're absolutely right. They don't spend enough time in the neighborhoods. I mean, you don't even have sufficient lighting. You talk about, you know, uh, areas of how to how to prevent this stuff. You guys were talking about it earlier, and I don't know if you can, you know, 100% ever prevent this kind of crime. But lighting is really important around the store. Although Fred Daly yep. was killed in the middle of the day, uh, in the early in the morning actually. But lighting around the store, having clean, you know, neighborhoods. Um, you know, making sure your your windows don't have signs in front of them. All this stuff of what even you're talking about, beautifying the neighborhood around those stores would help deter some of the problems. Hello, Vanessa. This is Rafid. It's been a while. How are you? Uh, <laughs> hi, Rafid. How are you? 
How was everything? It hasn't been that long. We just saw each other. We just saw each other the other day. When? Oh, I I'm sorry, Vanessa. You had to see him. <laughs> I apologize about that. You got jokes today? No, no, I don't have any jokes. That was serious. <laughs> I got you, bro. <laughs> Vanessa, I was in the store business for a long, long time until about maybe eight or nine years ago. I worked uh-huh. everywhere in the country, in the suburbs, the toughest areas in the city. And as you know, I'm always active and thinking and trying things and one of the things, and I shared this with Omar and a couple of others, and I even met with Arday about that. I think one thing we lack as a community, especially in, uh, in the businesses in the city, is unity. Uh, mm-hmm. Because we're in a competitive business, it's really difficult to bring that about. But can we all agree that uh, all the businesses, especially in the city, can agree on having security? Uh, there's no competition in that. So uh-huh. I had a, it was like a 10-point plan. And uh-huh. the first thing I said, yeah, my plan was more to unify our community. And the first thing, the first thing we needed to work on is security for the stores. I'll give you an example. Uh-huh. I had a store all the way on, on the east side, upper east side of Detroit, and I live in Common. When the alarm goes off, I would have to rush in the middle of the night. One time, honest to God, this is a true story. I got off 75 into 8 miles flying to get to my store, and I seen two police cars hanging out in a Coney Island. This is half hour after my alarm went off. I go in there, and I have to wait for the police an extra two or three hours just to go in. No, I, I know, Ralph. That's, that's been a long time problem. That, and you're absolutely right. Security is a huge issue, and let me maybe tell you collaborating. They, I'm sorry, to you. let me tell you how these criminals operate. First, they try you out. They trigger your alarm once, twice, just to see the response. How long it would take you? Uh-huh. One of my ex-partners said this to me, and I never ever forgot it. He said, "You go to work every single day, and you're thinking of ways. How can I help my family? What?" can I do to increase my business to make more money for my family while the criminal sits home day and night to figure out how can he beat you? Uh, how can he screw you? If I may, how can he rob you? His criminal mind is working day and night because he's not working. He wants an easy way out. One of the ways I suggested to our day was, you know what? When we're in these stores working day and night and putting our life on the line, we're also Mm -hmm. doing for these big corporations, the Budweiser's, the Frito-Lay's, the Pepsi's. They need to donate. We need to open up a fund where, first, this would go towards security, okay? For example, I don't think it's a huge problem where, and it's doable. You can get a lot of these corporations to make a donation, create our own force, and I'm not talking about police force or anything like that. You have a problem during the day, you call that police force. Whatever you want to call it, security, whatever. You do a deal with them, every store that wants to participate, you charge them a monthly fee. The first one, my alarm goes off, let that security force meet me over there before even the police comes in there. During the day, I've had problems, people fighting, threatening me, dangerous situations. Contact that police force. 
Hold mm-hmm. that criminal down until the police come. There is creative ways, but I think it takes an effort and unity on our uh, on our people. Mm-hmm. I mean, basically it comes down to no police presence because if you had a poli- if police presence was there and they knew they were going to get hit, it'd be no. But they they wouldn't do what they do. I remember. I'll tell you a great story about that. I had at one time. I never forget. It was a Sunday. A lady, you know, shoplifted and she. I don't know what she was wired on. Well, she bit like four of my employees, so they had to go in for tetanus shots. So she was in the back room. You know, they had her handcuffed in the back. She's going absolutely bonkers. I don't know what she's on, screaming, hollering, going crazy. So anyway, one hour goes by, two hours go by. Call 911 again. I'm like, you know, it's three hours out now. We really need to get this lady out of the store. Please, can you guys send the police? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Six hours later when I called back, I was getting irritated because I don't know what she was on. She was still going nuts. Uh, I called him and said, you know, when are you guys, are you guys coming? And she said, no, we're not. This is 911. No, we're not going to show up. She goes, we're too busy. We're too swamped. I said, 911 on, you're not going to show up. It's only in Detroit. She said, if you don't like it, leave. That was the 911 operator telling me that. <laughs> so this is what you yeah, get. So, if, if, yeah, yeah. You know, if nobody gives a damn, then that's what happens. Then we should give a damn. Yeah. That's what I mean. Hire our own. You would put pressure. Once the system works, you can go to the city. Hey, if you don't do your job, we're not paying taxes. Go ahead. Take us to court. Yeah, you, Shut you, us down. That'll never work to be saying you're not paying taxes. <laughs> you yeah, believe. that won't work. But you know what? I do. I, I, you know, I think there's there's different avenues. And I think, Rafa, you're right. You have to get creative. And, you know, maybe that's something AFPD can explore. But, you know, I, I do believe Mar- Mark's point is right, too. I have a bigger problem with the fact that you are operating a business in a city, uh, and when you don't have a police presence, uh, you know, why, you know, and they wonder why people don't want to build businesses in the city and why people don't want to move in the city. And, and Mark, that's, a hor- that's a, an example, but unfortunately, people probably have, people listening and other people probably have one or two stories, three stories just like that or similar to that when you're operating a business in Detroit. And I remember being in the city of Detroit when I was 16 years old. We haven't had a business there in a long time, but uh, two guys were fighting over a kilo of cocaine in our store, like fighting over a kilo (laughs) of cocaine. And we asked, and we were super busy in the store, and we asked them to step out. They're like, dude, you know, take your fight outside. Well, before they got outside, one guy shot the other guy right in our doorway. It, the guy was bleeding on our floor for hours before anybody came. And people, yep. our customers were just walking over him to get into the store. I mean, it was like a, it was a joke. It was like if, if it wasn't real, it's something you'd see on Saturday Night Live. I was just going mean, it to say, it's a movie. Uh, you know, it's like a movie. It's like a movie spoof. It's, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, I have, I, I have a bigger problem when the city is not held accountable to public safety and we're trying to operate businesses. And then going back to your point, we get criticized because there's a spoiled bologna on the shelf. It's like, yep. you know, they don't Thank even you. understand what it takes to run a business like that in the city of Detroit, putting your life on the line every single day. The, our, uh, those retail owners are doing, you know, communities a great service because in so many of those areas, there would be no stores. Vanessa. If we were united, more like a union or a corporation, whatever you want to call it, guarantee you, they wouldn't, these TV stations, newspapers wouldn't go there, oh, baloney expired crap, believe me. I, I don't agree with you. Power. Absolutely. I don't agree yeah. with you because all they do is schmooze the chains. Let me tell you something. I was So in, can they do it to the chains? 
What are you talking about? Chains? They give them 50 freaking cop cars around their stores My and everything point, like that. Why? Because they're chains. They're big. Because they got a ton of money, and that's who they want to cater you to. You don't think we do if they don't United? Want, they, don't want to, they don't want to cater to 50 individual stores or 300 individual stores. They want to deal with one headquarters and one one uh, chain store or whatever and kiss their butt, just like they did with Whole Foods, giving them so many subsidies and you know tax yeah. breaks. and subs- Meanwhile, we're here. Never taking a penny from it, getting a penny of anything from the city. We pay our taxes and don't get police protection, you know, and mm-hmm. they don't give us a damn thing. And yet they're bragging about how great Whole Foods is. Well, you know what? It's easy to be great when they pay for your whole inventory and everything before you open your store and give you subsidies and everything else. Pay for our inventory. We do great power. also. Maybe they have yeah, power. Yeah, but that's, that's, that's a whole other issue, too, when you're talking about not getting – I mean, we have had independent retailers – upgrade their stores for millions of dollars without one dime of subsidies and has beautified yep. their stores. We have 80, you know, AFPD, we, we did a, a research study and mapped out. We have 80 full-service grocery stores in the city of Detroit that are beautiful. They're just as comparable to any chain store, you know, um, servicing their community. Uh, and, our, and a lot of our members have put millions of dollars into renovating their stores, and they're paying for their own security a lot of those stores. You walk in there, and they're paying for their own security because they have to. Um, so and yeah, you know, I'm sorry, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. And Mark. we're part of the community. Unlike the chains, uh-huh. we're part of the community. Go to these chain stores and ask them for a donation. They'll tell you, get. oh, you got to go send a letter over to, uh, you know, to corporate and then they got to take a look at it. They walk into our stores and say, "Hey, we're having an event over at the church down the street." Oh, no problem. Well, here you go. Here's this for you your know, event. You know, you know what you got to do, Mark? Too go go stand in a in a chain store for about an hour or two and see how many uh, managers or or clerks know any of those customers by name. Yep. Go into one of our independent retailers, and that, not only do they know every customer, they know who their children are and who their mother is and who their brother is and who you know they know these people. They know their lives. Um, and it's it's such a different experience than, you know, other stores that, you know, I walk into other stores around here. Nobody knows my name. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you go, but you go into our stores, you know, the, the independent retailer stores, and they, they're so engaged in their community, they become part of it. I, uh, I totally yeah. agree. We're really, really involved with the customers. And, you know, you, we do what we can. We're personable because... Again, it's not a corporate ladder that you got to go through twenty people in a corporation yeah. and and uh, mm-hmm. you know go through this guy and that guy for anything. Which just like, oh, okay, here's here's mm-hmm. the owner of the business. Even even when mm-hmm. vendors want to come in, it's funny that they they smooch up to these uh, you know to these chain stores. But at the end of the day, guess what? When they walk into our store, it's like, hey, I want to put this item in the ad. Okay, give me the item. I'll put it in the next ad for you. No problem. Yeah, you know, without it's going a completely different hierarchy. Mm-hmm. But you know, crime crime is always going to be an issue, unfortunately. And our store owners risk their lives just like police officers risk their lives going to business, going to work every day. And uh, you know, we do need better security. We need you know, and every store owner can can only do so much. You know, proper lighting, uh, own security, and there's so much, so much you could do. But at the end of the day, you know, you, we are risking our lives every day when you walk into that business. Yeah, I totally agree. I hear I hear stories about people who have their own private security anyway, and the criminals learn how that security person operates, and they end up they end up they actually end up bullying or scaring that security person too. 
It, so, it could, uh, yeah, it could be. I don't know. Yeah, I, I haven't heard any statistics on that. Um, but you know, criminals could figure out how to get away with you know scamming police officers. You know what I mean? A criminal is a criminal is a criminal. You know, they're they're like just like you said that they're spending you know hours of their time. Rafford Rafford gave that example. You know, you're going hard to work trying to figure out how to do better business, and they're they're sitting at home trying to figure out how to rob you. Yeah, and not only that, I hate to say it from uh, from experience, but anytime we've hired security companies or security guys, they're the ones that are halfway in on all the crimes that are helping people steal stuff out of your store. Oh, that's another I hate problem. To, you know, I'm just telling you from experience. You hire a company mm-hmm. because they're going to send you a different person every day, and they don't give a damn. Or even if they send you... All they do is wait for the right time to help other people out getting stuff. I, I would, I would mm-hmm. rather see our, I'd rather see our people. It's good. Let them invest back into the city, city employees, cops that are like we said that are that are. But we're paying duty. a ton of taxes. Why can't the cops be there when we call? You know, the radius of Detroit is so big that it it almost either needs to be separated to a certain point where there some land has to be given off to other cities, either surrounding it. Just, the police department. Yeah, you're right, but it's hard. There's so much. I mean, how big does the Detroit itself stretch? I mean, let's just use, like anybody know here. I mean, not sure. Well, there's definitely pockets of Detroit. I mean, at one point, Bing was talking about trying to right size the city um, because there's so many pockets where you'd have neighborhoods where you have two homes that were you know, livable, and the rest were all burnt out. You know, it was like the argument of why we, why part of Detroit a food desert. Well, it's not a food desert. That's a misnomer. But if you, yeah, yep. if you go into a certain area, that and if a store can't support, if you don't have enough people living in a certain neighborhood to support a store, you're not going to have a store there, even though you have neighborhoods upon neighborhoods, but only two, two homes in one block are livable. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah, just so, you know, like you said, it comes down to economics. They, you know, ideally. Yeah, they want to store, like, you know, so many stores per square mile in Detroit. But let's face it, economically, can't support it. I remember when, <clears throat> excuse me, our last years at our store in Davison before we sold it, you know, I used to, Advil throws our ads, you know, they mail our ads to the different, to the houses up and down the neighborhoods. So every year I'd take a drive with a guy from Advil and say, I want to see all the streets we go down. I know I see it on the map, but I want to see it in person. Man, we go down the streets, I'd say, no wonder business is down. There's... 30 houses on the block, there's three left. All the rest are fried. Well, who the hell's getting these ads, you know? Yeah, that's, that's yeah. I mean, there's parts of Detroit, they look like a war zone. I mean, yep. I mean, and they spend a lot. I'm not dissing the city because I think there's areas that are beautiful, and I think people do care and are dedicated down there, some people. And oh, there well, are the cities that have been built. But the reality is our neighborhoods suffer in that city. And, and, and it's okay. always the store owner and the association that gets you know, attacked because they're saying, oh, we don't have enough supermarkets or, oh, we're not, you know, you're not servicing the community. And listen, it, it was this, these independent retailers who never left after the 1967 riots. You know, when everybody yeah. else left town, it was these independent retailers that stayed and serviced the community. And there are many like Fred Daly who were educated and didn't have to do that, you know, could have done, you know, so many other things. I mean, Mark, your family could have left the city long before they left the city. But you guys stayed. You guys stuck around for a long time. And there's a lot of people that stick around and are still servicing the city and risking their lives and, you know, and family members have been killed in their place of business. Yeah, and still one of our businesses is still there. Still one of our – we still Mm -hmm. have one store in Detroit. We haven't – Oh, you do? Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we we sold the one, but we still have Mm -hmm. one in Detroit. We're still there. Oh, so you're still there. Yeah, you're still there. I mean – 
So without independent retailers, I mean, you might have a Whole Foods and more power to them, but, you know, without the independent retailers, 90, 95% of the city would not have grocery stores. Yeah. You know, I there agree. would be nobody servicing the city. Well, I agree. Small businesses make up 65% of this country's business and employment and everything, and so that would uh, that would definitely be right. Um, you know, I want to do a ask you, Vanessa, by any uh-huh. chance, does the um, does the uh, AFD um, do they communicate with the city of Detroit, like like the chief? Do they talk about oh, on a regular basis? Oh yeah, there, okay. there's been ongoing conversations with the police chief, you know, for a long time. Ade has a good relationship, and they're they they they're very aware of the issues that the store owners face. Um, and you know. Obviously, we've been working really closely with the police department and the sheriff's department since Fred Daly uh, was killed. And, you know, you have to get people to squeal on people. And oh, yeah. we haven't had any luck. Of course. What what? And uh, we're, we were talking about earlier, have some of these people that, that have done business, I mean, they, they were asking for um, surveillance systems to be stepped up and stuff like that. And they said sure. that would... Okay, that they said that would help out, stuff like that. But the conversations with you guys and the chief, what is it, what's some of the... Some of the stuff that goes on. I mean, what's some of the? Is it measurements of the response time? Is it stuff you guys talk about? How um, maybe the way we like the, the business owners enter, leave the the premise. I mean, what what was some of the stuff discussed that you guys brought to their attention? Well, there's a lot. I mean, you know, a big issue in the neighborhood is lighting and security. You know what I mean? You yeah. know, going into the neighborhoods without proper lighting, it puts everybody at risk. And so that becomes a city issue in itself. Yeah, I mean, we talked about having more police patrol around stores, you know, the more time, you know, and gas stations. You know, there's a lot of crimes that go on in gas stations. So there's been conversations about, you know, having police patrol after 6 o'clock around businesses because if you just see the police just even driving around, uh, you know, it, it, it deters crime. So, yeah, those conversations have gone on in some areas it's helped and, you know, but they have had such a shortage themselves, and I'm not um, excusing it. It's the reality when you're dealing with, and that's a whole other political problem issue, is when money is not properly allocated to the police department, the sheriff's department. I mean, Benny Napoleon just said he's going after 100 new police officers, deputies, because he finally got the money he needed to hire these people. Well, you know, working with the sheriff's department saying, hey, you get these 100 people, make sure they patrol our store areas. You know, those are the ongoing conversations we we have and we need to continue to have. No, I totally agree. And another one of the biggest problems in the city too is the uh, people that you that hang around the front of the store all day long. That's, oh yeah, uh, mm-hmm. that's like one of the biggest problems there is. It's like they're hanging around waiting for the right moment to do something. You, you mm-hmm. get them out of there and they come right back, and the next thing you know, somebody gets their purse snatched or car broken into mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's another one. Like you mm-hmm. said, if the police would come around, and mm-hmm. they, those people kind of would scatter a bit, you know? You know, my dad, when we owned the store, and it's, and it's like I said, it's been a long time, but my dad um, used to always um, give all the police officers in the area free lunch, you know? He's like, you know, whatever their shift was, come in and I'll, I'll feed you a sandwich and a pop and chips for free. He just wanted them there. You know, he he goes, I want them in my store. I want and. We luckily we had very few incidences in our store because we had so many officers in our store all the time, you know. Um, but mm-hmm. I, you know, I don't know how others if other stores do that on a regular basis. But it was like his tactic to make sure cops were always in his store. Hmm. 
No. Smart. So, yeah, it, it, you guys, this is a huge problem, and it's not going to be resolved in, you know, in, in a conversation that's been ongoing. And I, I think it's great that you're bringing it up, and I think it needs awareness constantly on this issue. Unfortunately, it's, su- it's such a deep-rooted issue because it, it, it involves politics, you know what I mean? And it involves, you know, dealing with so many different levels of government to make sure the police force is present and, um, and you know, prop, you know, the, the city is, itself is suffering in so many ways. So it's just, it's an ongoing problem that doesn't have a, a you know, one or two bullet point solutions. Yeah, I totally agree. And it, and it definitely takes the cooperation of the mayor, council and everybody else involved and if any one of them any one of them are resistant it's just a total roadblock for us mm-hmm. exactly and you know and that's what AFPD on a regular basis deals with city council deals with the police department deals with the sheriff's department deals with the mayor's office and you know and every time you have a new elected leader in in, in place it, you have to now you know build that relationship up but it's it's an ongoing conversation uh, dealing with these issues on a regular basis. I mean, we for a long time we had the city of Detroit retailers, you know, meeting on a regular basis to discuss these issues and take into the police department. Um, and we were working very closely on Fred Daly's case, and we hit a roadblock because they're basically saying they pretty much know who did it. You just got to get somebody to rat them out. So those are other issues you deal with. Wow. That, you know, uh, people, just like, just you like know, everything, taboo. so complicated. <laughs> it's very complicated, but it's also, you know, when you're dealing with crimes, you guys see this all the time. When you're dealing with crimes, especially in the city of Detroit, it's taboo to rat on anybody. You know, yeah. it's, it's. I mean, we put $50,000 out there and you couldn't get people to rat, to, to, to bring Fred Daly's murder to, to light. I think what it is is because they're in the neighborhood, uh, word travels fast and they don't want retaliation against them. Yeah, <clears throat> Exactly. Do you think we maybe we need some bigger rewards like hundred grand, five hundred grand? You know, is it really worth it? No, you know, I'm going to tell you why. They thought actually that the fifty thousand dollars was too much because the the people in the neighborhood thought that can't be for real. You know, wow. they thought that yeah, they're like that can't be for real. No, I don't think the more money. I mean, I think fifty thousand was great that we were able to raise that money, but I I, I don't see that you know. In this case, in Fred Daly's case, I don't, I don't see how raising more money. I don't know. I could be wrong, but they even, they, I remember them saying, "Wow, they some people didn't think it was for real that we were actually putting up fifty grand." Trust me, if you if you advertise it as for real, it would be for real. Say, if you know, if, if someone really wanted to know, I know money is, you know, you shouldn't ever put money over, you know, consoling anyone that's passed away or trying to make up for it or. But I really think yeah. it's definitely an investment, and it's worth it to bring closure. And I've really never seen, you know, and even in you know domestic issues, you know, cases, not just in our, uh, not just in our uh, culture, but in domestic issues, there's really, I mean, I've only seen five grand, ten grand, twenty five. Yeah, grand. we. I've but never you know really what? We put hundred or two, three hundred yeah, grand. We, you know. But we put $50,000 out there all over the neighborhood. That was plastered all over the media. got tons of media coverage. It was on social media. It was flyers everywhere in that neighborhood, and we still could not get the, the you know, arrest and conviction of the murder. How about a quarter million it's, dollars? Uh, it's this definitely a, an, in, an intense topic. It's a very complex one. Um, you know, definitely, definitely needs continuous awareness, but 
Um, Vanessa, thank you so much for calling in. We really appreciate it. Yeah, and thanks oh, for being uh, the media watchdog and not, and being <laughs> being the honest in, person with integrity in the media. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Vanessa. Yeah, have a Vanessa, good night. Have an awesome night. Thank you, guys. Bye-bye. It's always great to talk to uh, Vanessa. Yep. Yeah. We're going to get into uh, some politics now and some current affairs. And uh, we're going to... What? Oh, isn't that what current affairs is, Rafid? Please don't correct my English. Thank you. So uh, we're going to get into current affairs and politics. Uh, without further ado, here's uh, Mr. Yeldu. It is not current affairs. It is the update on Help Iraq and what's going on. Okay, current affairs. Well, Help Iraq only. And our current affairs concerning Help Iraq. Things. Thank you. I just got a, it's The reason I was late, we had an adopter refugee monthly meeting. Right now we're up to 1,063 families that we support every month. Uh, majority of that is in Lebanon. We're still waiting the okay from the Turkish government to start helping people in Turkey. We have to get the okay first. Uh, we're getting things situated also in Jordan. We're waiting on them to send us all the applications. But I'm really, really happy to tell you that we're going to start a new program for uh, people with special needs in Iraq. These people live uh, a very difficult life because in that part of the world, they're not really accepted. They pretty much hide them. They're more of a shame. Um uh, and now, because a lot of them are displaced, they have to live with their families inside these little caravans, tents, or whatever. So there's this program that's going to take these people um, with special needs and do activities for them five or six days a week all day long. You know. What do you mean by special needs? Like, are they disabled? Yes, disabled, um, whatever, whatever. So how does a person, if they want to donate to a directed thing, like one for the people with special needs, one for the just adopting a family, one for helping build uh, you know, uh, dwellings. How do they know, like how can you pick which one you're going to want to donate to? Because we have certain programs, all these are categorized in Help Iraq or under Adopt a Refugee. So for example, when you see our booth at a church and you want to donate, you can say, I want this to go to Turkey. I want this to go people with special needs. It's all in one account. But we keep separate um, separate Excel sheets or what I mean, uh, separate uh, categories. So we know, okay, this money, for example, $200,000 is allocated for this. 300000 goes there. So your money would go exactly where you would want it to go. Uh, what else as far as... And then as what's you know? Teach is doing something too also, right? Teach has this um, two rivers. I don't have it in front of me. That's going to be May... Hold on, I'm sorry, it's been a long day. Is it May 15th or May 17th? It's something like that. I'll pull it up one second. I believe it is May 15th. I feel bad and I'm going to get in trouble for this because I was at their their last meeting. If anybody uh, would like to be a sponsor, we'd love to have you. It's a great program. Teach helps all the kids with educational needs or activities. A lot of these displaced kids are not... You know, they're not going to school. They're not doing anything sitting around all day long. The fundraiser is on May 15th at the Regency Manor. It's called The Night Between Two Rivers. We encourage people to donate items for their uh, silent auction or 
anything, art from villages back in Iraq. And again, if you're an educator, teacher, and you want to join Teach, we would love to have you also. And then Mercy, uh, we're going to start this project for the Yazidi community. There's 400,000 to 500,000 Yazidis who are hardly seeing any kind of physician, any kind of health care. So we're going to help them establish this mobile unit. They're going to have their own doctors, their own nurses, and there are seven camps. So each day, they're going to go to a different camp. Each camp has 4,000 people. I don't know how much they're going to help, but they're going to help a lot of people. So we appreciate everybody, excuse me, everybody's support. <coughs> and continue uh, to donate to HelpIraq.org. 100% of your proceeds will go to uh, all these projects. So basically, people just donate, and you guys allocate it to the different programs. There's not somebody chooses a particular program to donate to, right? No, you could. That's what Mark just asked. Yes, you can. You can say, I want this to go to Turkey. I want this to go to Syria. I want this to no, go you, to Yazidi. You're talking about countries. I'm saying specific programs. Like, yes, you can say, I want this to go to Mercy, or I want this to go to the people with special needs. Okay. What um, what else is going on out there that uh, you're aware of? Nothing. And uh, one thing I want to clear up from last week, as you all know, uh, sometimes I'm not the most politically correct person, so I say things and they might come across wrong. When I said, for example, last week, oh, the patriarch should go and uh, worry about other bishops or other clergy, it does not mean I'm against the patriarch or anything that he's everything he stands for. I still respect him. He's our um, holy father, if I may, to our community. He's a church figure, and I love him dearly, and I respect him. I don't agree with all his policies as far as political, whether people should stay and go or that kind of thing. But, uh, again, I respect him tremendously, and I, and I, and I love him. I wasn't here, so you didn't offend me. I just wanted to, you know. No, I mean, you know what? A couple of people told me, oh, what, you don't believe in the patriarch? No, he is the leader of our church. He is our spiritual father. Okay, we, uh, it was definitely a, definitely an interesting show. And uh, I think, the, like I said, the first topic definitely needs a lot more awareness. Um, we need to keep keep reminding people of the severity of it, of the continuing, um, which obviously we all know, sadly and unfortunately, this is not, you know, the last killing that we had was not going to be the last killing, unfortunately. And uh, it's something that we need to to be continually aware of. And hopefully one day we, you know, find a ways, find ways to, to minimize it. One thing I wanted to ask, and, and Rafid, you weren't here when I brought this up, but I do want to do want to ask you and get your opinion on this. I heard this argument when I was working at the chamber, and uh, Nathan actually brought it to my attention today as well. There's a, a notion out there that part of this, part of these crimes, are caused by envy, and um, what 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 we mean by this is that so people say that you know the Chaldeans go to their jobs, go to their stores dressed up in suits in their nice cars. And so because they're in such an impoverished area, the community there, you know, is is driven by envy when they see this kind of stuff. And so it motivates the the crime that we see. What do you think about that? Does that hold any water? I think there is envy definitely, but not to the point to cause 
murder. That's another level. I'm sorry. You got to be drugged out. You got to be desperate. I don't think that that's envy alone. Yes, there is envy. They do envy you. But a lot of times because of envy, they'll steal. Oh, okay, I'm deserving of this. You know, he's not in the city, blah, 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 all kind of talk. But that goes to petty crime. I don't think it affects murder. You know. I agree with you, Rafis. Exactly. That turns into a little petty thug almost. When you do that, that's that's revenge just by stealing here and there. That murder is different. They don't look at it as Chaldean that they're just an, an, an envy or a hatred or whatever. Because if you think about it, in the last 10 years, it's somewhat changed for almost driving these fancy cars that they all used to go to work with. Their Mercedes, yeah. the trucks and all that, to, to going down to their leases that they're going back to, to their Chryslers, their, yeah. you know. And I'll be honest with you, they're, they're humbleizing that back down in front of their own guys. They're not coming in with... But many people did not drive Mercedes going to work. They might own a Mercedes, let the wife or daughter or son drive it. Going to work, most of them had an old used... Yeah, like or, an older car or yeah, something like that to drive. They just know that from seeing us, for example, on social media, on TV, well, you, listen, whatever. They do. There is envy. There's but always again, envy, Rafa. That's, that has nothing to do with that. And that's anywhere you go. Exactly. Anywhere you go. Anytime you own a business, somebody always <laughs> thinks you're making a mint on them. Yep. That, so it doesn't matter if you're... West Bloomfield or your Southwest Side Detroit, and it's it's that you're you're public enemy number one when you're making money. But it does the not cause them to murder. Murder, no, it's a know, whole different level. We have about what three thousand businesses in Detroit, maybe more. Yeah, at least. What's the average murders uh, that we've had? Do we have a number? I don't know. Uh, I mean, maybe well, one a year. Recorded, no. recorded, and recorded so far. It's, they claim it's about 110. I, I believe it's closer to 200 myself. So, 3,000 stores, a lot of these stores may be seeing hundreds or thousands of customers or interactions a day. For it to be one, two, three a year, it is a tragedy. But if you think MV played a role, then we would have a lot more tragedies in the city. It takes a, um, a special criminal for them to reach that level. It's more anger and drugs that motivates them. Desperation. And desperation, yeah. Yeah, desperation, I think. And yeah. Like you said, with drugs, people are just out of their mind anyway, so they don't even well, know. Well, you what know what's so crazy? We, we 99.9% of the time, helped the situation before turning this person down for what was probably needed, whether it be food or a few bucks or whatever it may be. We probably would have helped them, you know, in our businesses. Had they asked. Those murderers are not the, they're the ones who are asking for food. Or, believe me, those are the ones that want it all. Yeah. That want it all. They want that special drug. They want that special car. They want that special uh, lick, if I may, where I'm going to give me a quick $10,000 if I rob this person. $1,000, $2,000. He's not there because he's hungry, he needs a cupcake, yeah. or he needs to eat. No, these are two different um, people. It's in their nature. It's in their nature. It's, uh, it's, it is uh, in their nature. To, and some people think that, I mean, even certain research seems to show that capital punishment doesn't really deter uh, criminals because at the time that they're committing the crime, they're not really thinking, oh, I'm going to get caught. Now, why does it work in countries like Iraq, Middle East, when they know they cannot get away with it? I agree. 
and here's the other thing uh the people who 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 are putting out this research um they believe that these people can be reformed through education and i question that a lot because it like junior said it comes down to this is their nature at the Do you end believe the in that markets in their nature what's in their nature like they cannot change as far as what? Oh, you mean people that kill? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's like a rapist. You, they won't change, so that's why I have to castrate them. How about them. drug addicts? Uh, I mean, drug addicts and alcoholics can recover, you know, but they can also relapse very easily too. Like any type of tragic life thing that happens to them once they've recovered can send them into a relapse. It's like a depression. It's kind of like you know, like a depression kind of thing. But I think murderers and violent, any type of violent offender, violence is ingrained in their system. I don't think you can change them unless it's drastic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I would I would definitely agree with that. It's it's just, uh, it becomes too much in, ingrained into their nature. And, uh, you know, you know, we talked about this show just real, real quick. You know, this whole show was in regards to loss and and all the situation that comes about in these businesses and right. But we never talked to anybody, or, or I don't think we've even mentioned how do you follow through with it. Like what I said, that PTSD, like it's post traumatic syndrome. How you know how how do you cope with the aftermath? We gave no resolution. Nobody spoke on how they had some resolutions for themselves. All was, you know, we've all had that, you know, in us. But what what, did, what do you give to the next guy? What advice? I mean, what? How do you? Not everybody's going to handle like all these callers did. You guys got to remember that some of these. People, well, there there is no advice you can give because because everybody handles things differently. You're right. It's their own. It's a, it's you our know, own. It's our own hell we're burning, and nobody can tell us how to burn in it. Yeah, you know what? I've I've never been through something like that. But I think maybe it's part of life. I mean, you could never forget it. You could never really overcome it. But what but you just said, you, you're right. But what you just said, you just said it from hindsight. So you're reacting to hindsight. When you step on this side of it, you're, you could be that guy who just folds, who just couldn't handle the pressure and just doesn't. I mean, you should. That's why you have to have a strong support system. Right. That's why our and community strong is strong. Because strong we're strong faith, and we have a strong support system, brothers, cousins, yep. aunts, uncles, dad, moms. That's a resolution. I mean, yeah, That's a no, resolution. I, I, like back home when the dad works all day long, the, the older brother steps in to discipline you or your uncle. So there's that strong support system. Down the road, what I think would be would be nice to see is uh is this our support groups within the community that you know help deal with tragedies like this. I think it would be nice to to see that but the thing is our people are a bit taboo about opening up so that's a whole other uh whole other issue whole other topic well we're getting ready to close down but once again i want to remind our listeners as always go to www.helpyourock.org donate to the cause uh it's, it's a great cause and of course lots going on there you we, you also are being updated on a daily basis on what goes on uh in our homeland regarding the crisis so make sure to visit www dot org. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Junior. Thanks, Rafit. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Thanks, man. Thanks, Nathan, for not being here. I just want to tell you guys, there's something um, coming up May 17th. We'll announce it later. We're not going to talk about it now, but it's something big, so just stay tuned. Guys, tune in next week, same time, Wednesday, 8 p.m. We'll catch you all next week. Is it your birthday?